Well, how many of you this morning have already taken a vacation this summer? How many of you are yet to take your vacation? How many of you want to go on vacation? Far, far away. Far, far away. There's old Bo. Okay, I embarrassed him. All right. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out and open them up to First uh, John chapter 3, if you would, please. It's right before the last book. First John chapter 3. <clears throat> and what we're going to do today and next week uh, is a two-part message on what does it mean to be spiritually prepared. To be spiritually prepared. Uh, and on that note, uh, let's just pause for a moment and let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And God, we are grateful that you are here. Not as much, Lord, as we are to be able to gather in this place where we could hear from you. And God, I just want to pray and ask that this morning that you would really search our hearts. And God, that you would help us uh, to know how we can answer that question because we need to do it individually what does it mean to be spiritually prepared and so lord i just ask and i believe everyone is in agreement god would you speak to us uh this morning on this issue in jesus name amen now pretty much every single thing that uh we do from the moment that we are born until the day that we die we are preparing ourselves for the next thing. Every single one of us in this room, we're preparing ourselves. Preparation is the key. Preparation is everything. That's the reason why we go to school. And we hate it when we're younger. I don't know if it gets any different with the older you get either, but we go to school for that very reason. That's the reason why a lot of people are big readers. They read a lot. They want to gain all kinds of information. From the earliest of times, you learned the basics of life related to survival based upon what you learned from your mom and dad. They were preparing you for what's coming up, the next thing. We learn to trust our parents whose job is to help us with this um, as they get us trained, if you will, uh, to know. And by observation, we'll discover that what we need uh, to do and having our needs met is based upon largely the example that we have in our lives. It's all about preparing. Everything's about preparing. Uh, our experiences throughout life well, is another area of preparation that helps us um, as we move along uh, this thing called life. Along with what we have been taught or shown, we also recognize that our experiences are a really big teacher. A lot of people learn from the wrong choices or the mistakes, the experiences that bring about that, oh man, what was I thinking? And most of us, anyway, try to learn from our mistakes. How many of you guys are really good at learning from your mistakes? I am, because I do them all the time. 
The biggest thing is you just don't want to go back and keep repeating uh, this, the same mistake. I've always said, and I, I hate this, if you go and you build a house, let's say you're building a house, it's like your first house. After the house is built, there are like a million little things that you, that you now recognize that you go, gosh, I wish we would have done this, or we should have done this on that part, or you know what, if I go to do it all over again, we're going to make sure we don't do this. And th that's me. I'm just constantly evaluating and looking at stuff. And the sad thing is, the more those moments happen, the closer you are to dying. And so it's like by the time you learn, okay, I've got it all figured out right now, all of these things I've learned along the way, right about the time you arrive, you go, you're done. It's, it's, it's over. I hate that. I just, experiences teaches us everything. And a lot of times we focus on the bad and we forget about the lesson that is learned and what we did. It's important also to ask the right questions. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again a lot because it's something I really believe in. If you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer every single time. It is important to ask the right questions. Uh, I was asked one time um, what I thought was uh, a reason, the number one reason for divorce. In fact, the question that was posed to me was, Ed, what do you think is the number one reason for divorce? And I said, oh, that's easy, marriage. And I kind of looked at this guy to see his response, and I just told him, I said, you're asking the wrong question. There is no one reason why on an issue of, of marriage or divorce, it's based on one thing. You're asking the wrong question. You, you need to look at the bigger picture of things. And I think it's important that while we are taught what we are taught, while we experience what we experience, and as we learn along the way by asking questions, and we should always ask questions to learn, it's important that we ask the right ones. In John's letter, in 1 John, you're going to see that the apostle is writing to his new congregation. Remember, this is a young, young church of believers. And John is writing to them uh, the importance of being spiritually prepared that was the driving force behind john uh, for the full context you're going you're, you're going to want to read first john chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 and go all the way through chapter 5 be, uh, ending in verse 13 obviously we're not going to read all of that but i am going to pick out certain passages within those three chapters to kind of put together the connective thought of what John is trying to get across to his church and what he's trying to get across to read a Baptist church today this morning so in first John chapter 3 just begin by looking at me uh, with me on verse 1 John said see how great a love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are 
For this reason, the world, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And then look at chapter 4, verses 7, beginning, in verse, uh, with, in, beginning with verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us first. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And then last look at chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11 says this. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things have I written unto you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So, and just within these small amount of verses right here, we see that the Apostle John is trying to prepare his congregation of believers the position and the mindset and the thought that they need to have about themselves as to how they stand before God. Now, when you think about that question, how do you stand before God today? What goes on in your mind? Now, think about it. That's the biggest, most loaded question you can ever ask yourself. How do you stand before God today, right now? How do you stand? How do you think God sees you? How do you see God? What are the things that have led you to look at God the way that you look at God? What has prepared you in your life, all throughout your life, to get you to the point to where you're sitting here today and you're thinking about God? How does God look at you? Are you prepared? John reminds his listeners where we were before we went to the cross. He reminds us of the need that we have with Jesus. Um, 
and why our entire life is going to be based upon the involvement that we allow him to have in our lives. John makes that abundantly clear. He says, he who doesn't have the Son does not have life. Doesn't have life. Oh, you're physically breathing, but you're not experiencing the type of life that you were intended to have. You just don't have it. It's not there. It's not there. He makes it abundantly clear that Jesus makes all things possible for us to have eternal life because of his death by dying for our sins on the cross. And because of the cross, God wants you, now make sure you get this, God wants you to know, to know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know it. He doesn't want to leave it to a guess. He doesn't want to leave it to, well, I hope so. He doesn't want you to go around and, and have that thought, well, I think so, well, I'm sure I am. Yes, maybe. He wants you to know. What does it say? These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know. He wants you to know. You know, most Christians will go through their life, and I'll say most without exaggerating, most Christians will go through their life without the steadfast security of knowing. Now stop and think about it. Eternity is kind of a long time. Why do we want to hope that we make it? Now think about that. That is insane. That is insane. It is a long, long time. Do you know the Lord? Has Jesus forgiven you of your sins? Has he come to reside in your life, in your heart? Has he changed you from the inside out? Are you resting on everything that he did and not what you're doing right now? Is the cross number one of importance in your life of the biggest thing that has ever taken place to you? And do you know it? Or are you just going through, well, you know, right now, I'm just not real sure. I mean, you know, I go to church, and every now and then I'll, I'll go to a Bible study. And, and see, we come up with all of these things that we convince ourselves that we're okay. John is writing to his church, and he is telling them the number one thing, the number one thing you need to know is do you know it? Has it happened to you? When did you go to the cross and surrender your heart to Jesus and ask Jesus to come in and fully and completely take control of your life? He wants you to know it. If there is one thing that God does not want you to struggle over, it's in this question right here. This is the right question. Do you know it? You can know it. You can know. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt in any way, shape, or form, completely, totally, that you're going to go to heaven. Your salvation with Jesus is set and it's secure the moment you come to know Christ. The minute you come to know him, you're set. 
There's a lot of people that have a problem with this thing that we call eternal security. But we don't call it eternal security. God's Word calls it eternal security. There are hundreds of promises in the Bible that clearly communicate the point that when you are a child of God, I'm talking about a person that has really genuinely been converted, that they are set and they're secure. The moment you are saved, that's the Bible's word to describe, the moment you were lost and then you found Jesus. The Bible says you were saved. It's like you're saved from what? You're saved from your sins. Because the moment you give your life to Jesus, Jesus takes all of your sins and he puts them on that cross and his righteousness that he has that's within him is imputed unto us so that now when God sees you, he sees Jesus in you. He doesn't see you, um, a, a person that's condemned. He doesn't see you as someone who is separated from God. You're a, a, an alien or a stranger. That's not the way God sees you anymore. He sees you with Jesus' glasses. And every time he sees you, he sees that righteousness of his son on your life. Why? Because the moment you went to the cross, you laid down your life and you said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to trust in what I do to get to heaven because there's nothing I can do to get there. There's just nothing. It's all on you. My faith is based on the fact that Jesus was who he said he was and that he died on the cross. That's what God wants us to believe. And that only, nothing else, Every single thing, everything that we do that's additional is because of the love that we have because of what he did for us. We want to be forgiven. We do want to go to this place called heaven. We want to be with God. We want to be with the angels. We want to be reunited with loved ones. We have the hope fixed that this life is not as good as it gets, and it's not. Regardless of how good of a life you think you have right now, everything you have can be stolen. Everything you have can burn down. Tomorrow you can wake up and find yourself medically in a position to where you're not you until the day you die. Jesus uh, described it as where moth or rust comes in to destroy that's why he says, don't put all your hope on your stuff because it can be gone. It's important to know why. It's important to know why. Um, there's four reasons in your bulletin today. I want us to look at a two-part series for today. We're going to look at the four reasons why some people don't believe that they are Christians. And then next week, I want us to take a look at something you're going to find very interesting. I want you to look at, this is what happened to you the moment you became a Christian. A lot of things you never give a thought about, but God does. So much so that he wrote it down in his book. Because he wants you to know, this is what took place the moment you went to Jesus. So we're going to look at that next week. But today, I want to take a look at four reasons why some people aren't sure that they're Christians. 
The first one, number one, the, uh, one uh, the first reason why some people believe that they're not Christians is because they're not Christians. Just as simple as that. Because they're not. Because they're not. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. You'll see it on the screen. Look at what he said here. John said this, By this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. Now, why would I pick out that verse? The reason why I chose that verse to communicate this point right here is because there's, it's an interesting thing of what people think when they hear the name Jesus, and they are posed with the question, well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Oh, he was a teacher. He was a prophet. Uh, he was a, a, a mighty rabbi. And they'll give all these things. He was a good man. You hear that most of the time, he was a good man. What does the word good mean anyway when the Bible says all of our good works are like filthy rags before a holy God? But that's the answers that they give. See, they don't, they don't know. I was asked <clears throat> two nights ago from a former youth who's now a young adult, and um, Matthew sent me this question, and he said this. He said, I have been trying to share my faith with a Jehovah Witness. Where do I start? And I replied back, well, how much time do you have? That's one of those ask the right questions kind of a thing. But I, I, I said that I really meant that. That's a loaded question, just like a Mormon. Why? Because you can go to a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or a person involved in Christian science or the worldwide church of god the church of armstrongism of course islam is all the way um and ask who is jesus and you're going to hear those kinds of answers they will also tell you jesus died for you on a cross that sounds pretty christian doesn't it absolutely it sounds very christian they'll come up and they'll tell you that he died for the sins of the world that god is working through jesus to save mankind that sounds very christian doesn't it Nobody's going to doubt any of that one uh, in, in any way. What they don't tell you is they do not believe that Jesus is God, that he's the Son of God. And in, remember, in the Jewish mindset, Son of God and God are co-equal. They're the same. It, you know, in our culture, the way we look at things, Son of and all that, that's... That's the confusion on us, but Jesus and God are one and the same, and so is the Holy Spirit, thus the Trinity. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He who, knows, uh, he who believes in me believes in the one who sent me. Jesus is saying, when you get me, you get the Father. For I and my Father are one and the same, as it, Jesus said at the end of John chapter 10. But they won't tell you that. They'll just say enough to make you think that they're okay. They're not okay, y'all. Uh, to Mormons, 
Uh, Jesus is just the instrumental person that God chose to use to save mankind. But he's also the spiritual brother of Satan. That's blasphemy. God came down and had intercourse with Mary to give us the Mormon Jesus. That's blasphemy. Jehovah's Witness, who is Jesus? Jesus is Michael the archangel. Oh, really? So an angel died for you on the cross? Well, they believe that God came down on Jesus at that moment, and then when Jesus died, God left him. Oh, okay, that's, that's how that works. They take in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then they change it. In the beginning the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's why the belief that you and I will all be gods one day. That's how God got to become God. It's blasphemy. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Meaning God made flesh. See, the letter of 1 John is not written to assure believers in your bulletin to assure believers that they have eternal life, it is written to assure unbelievers that they don't. That they don't. You don't have it. It's not happening. As much as you are convincing yourself you got something that you don't, you don't. That's what John is saying. John wants to destroy the false security, and he says that every single thing hinges on how you see Jesus and what you do with him. It has everything to do with how you see Christ. Since I've been here at Red Baptist, there have been a number of times where people have accepted Christ after many people thought they were already a Christian. And it's interesting to me uh, the reactions that their family had towards that. And I hate this. I, I hate it a lot because this is when we, we, we start to make church something that we can do. This is, uh, oh, I'm going to run church. Well, we're going to go and do church. Those are really wrong terminologies. We would hope that it is God who is running church. It is God who is doing church because of the openness of His people that's surrendering their lives to being used by Him. Uh, right there at the corner of the sound booth, there was a young gentleman, I'm not going to use his real name, um, I'll use the name Ralph. Uh, I don't know why I'm going with Ralph, but Ralph. Everyone knew Ralph was a Christian. He was a sophomore in high school. Oh, believe me, his mom and dad thought old Ralph was a Christian. And they would know it more than anybody in this church. He comes up to me after we had a, an event, and he pulls me aside, and he was broken. He was visibly shaken. He was scared. He was nervous, and he said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay, come on. So we went back over here in this back hallway so no one would interrupt. I said, hey, uh, what's going on? And he said, 
I don't think I have ever trusted in Christ myself. And that scares me to death. I mean, the conviction was all over him. And I told him, here's what you're going to do. You and I right now, we're both going to pray. And you're going to pray. And you're going to accept Christ. Just right now. I'm not going to tell you that you're saved because your family is or who they are in our church. I'm not going to say that, because I don't know your heart. But if you don't think you are, then I'm going to ask you to do this one thing. You're going to nail it down. You're going to nail it down. There's not a single soul out there that's going to have a problem with you nailing it down. Not a one. And if they do, you need to just hit them upside their head and knock them out. And I meant it. So we did, and I asked Ralph a few questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Yes. Do you believe he's the son of God? It's the same thing. Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he's the only way to get to heaven is by choosing him? Yes. By following him? Yes. I mean, I just said this because I want him to hear his own words that comes out of his mouth so that later on that night when he's at the house or wherever and he's alone and that's when the adversary comes in and starts saying, listen, you didn't really mean what you just said this morning. Don't you know how embarrassing that was? I mean, come on. When everybody finds out you just now became a Christian, you know what they're going to think? I'm going to tell you what they're going to think. They're going to high five and bear hug you because it's the most awesome thing ever. The spiritual aspect of life, we cannot control y'all it controls us. Physically, we can do many accomplishments. We don't need to pray about it. We don't need to pray about it. God gave you a brain. He gave you the ability, the gift, and the talent to do certain things. You just do it. But when it comes to the spiritual aspect of life, you need to come to God on His terms because the Bible says, God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. If you know that you are not where you need to be and you put it off, you run the risk of never being saved again. Because the Bible says, my spirit would not always strive with man. As soon as we prayed, he could have, he could have put holes in the ceiling. He was bouncing. He was so excited. So we go out to the fellowship hall and uh, where we were having a meal. <clears throat> he goes up to his mom and his dad, and he tells his mom and his dad, and he is excited. And the minute he tells his mom and dad, his dad just sits there and looks at him kind of awed, and his mom speaks up, and she says, Ralph, you've already done this. <sighs> and I thought, gosh, please don't hit him right in front of me. That would really not go well. And I stood there and I just said, well, hey, this is a personal moment. I'm going to say this and I'm done. Clearly, Ralph didn't. And I just left. I'll never forget that. But here's the thing. I have seen that happen so many times. We don't know another person's heart. Their spiritual preparation when they claimed to have made a decision once upon a time in their life, they didn't. 
And now that they want to, we want to convince them, oh, you don't need to do this because remember you walked the aisle on this day. Remember you pray with so-and-so. And we put this guilt on one another when they want to get their heart right with Jesus. The Bible, y'all, has a lot to say about a person's heart. You cannot trust it. It will deceive you. And so, when a person comes to you and they have the mindset of, I don't know if I am a Christian, how should you deal with them? I'm going to tell you how I deal with it every single time. Let's nail it down. Let's just, let's nail it down. Based on the authority of God's word, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Nail it down. If you're already a Christian, but for whatever reason you're weak, you're a weak Christian because you're not growing, you're not doing anything ever to help yourself grow. If you're already a Christian and you surrender to nail it down one more time, does it really make God mad? these things have i written unto you in order that you may know god wants you to know it because until you know it you're not going to be an effective witness for jesus you know why because you don't know for yourself if you're ready so you cannot give what you do not have second reason why people aren't sure that they're christians is because they're waiting for lightning to strike they have seen the example of what happened to Paul, the Philippian jailer Cornelius, and they're thinking it's going to be that really big wow moment, and guess what? It's not always a big, loud moment. Now, we would love it if it was. That would be okay with us. But that's not the way it happens. When I gave my life to Christ in 83 in my bedroom, all by myself, just praying to God and telling Him every single thing I could, I could think of that I had did wrong. Because in my mind, I'm like, gosh, I don't want Him to find out something later. What happens then? I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I just knew I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness. When I was through, I would have loved to have seen an earthquake. I would have loved to have heard a hallelujah chorus go off somewhere. But I didn't. You know why? It's by faith. It's by faith. Now, it took me a while to understand what does it mean to live by, by, by faith. When you look in Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 34, you read about the conversion of Lydia. And you know what her conversion, how it happened? It just says these beautiful five words. The Lord opened her heart. That's it. That's it. Never mind how Christ comes to you. Just make sure that he comes. The third reason why a lot of people don't think that they're Christians is because they don't know that they can be sure. These are the type of people when you ask, and again, I said this already, if they're a Christian, they'll say stuff like, well, I hope so, uh, with a uh, maybe, yes, I'm pretty sure that I am kind of an answer. What if you had cancer, and the doctor knew what it was, and the doctor told you that it can be removed? 
And if it can be removed, your life can, uh, can be saved. But I, we can go in, we can get it. And then right after surgery is over and you've had enough time to recuperate, you're on your bed, the doctor walks in and you ask him, well, did you get it? And he says, I hope so. Is that really going to be a satisfactory type enough of an answer for you to live on? Not this guy. Not at all. Not at all. See, many people today lack what Hebrews 10.22, that's a good verse, Hebrews 10.22, which calls the full assurance of faith. The verse literally says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies uh, washed with pure water. Maybe you need to have the same outlook that Paul had when he told Timothy in 2 Timothy, you'll see it on the screen, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, when Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Now that's faith. That's faith. I mentioned earlier how a lot of times some people accept Christ long after they become, uh, I mean, <coughs> way into their life. You know, there's been a lot of people, famous people in history, pastors who were saved later on in their own ministry. John Wesley, Martin Luther are two. I want you to hear this, uh, how God worked out the salvation and this guy that we know as John Wesley. You're going to find this very interesting. John Wesley was a brilliant scholar. He was a powerful preacher. And he was one who upheld the teachings that was taught within the church. And, uh, and everything about him was the picture perfection of what you want to be like. But he was lacking one thing in his heart, he said. When he came to America from England he met with a group of Christians known as the Moravians. And one of their leaders, by the name of Mr. Spangenberg, asked Mr. Wesley, do you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? John answered, quote, I know that He is the Savior of the world. True, but has He saved you? And his answer was, well... I hope so. He died to save me. That was John's reply. And it was at this point that that question began to haunt John Wesley. After returning to London, still unsure about his experience with Christ, he attended a church service one evening um, unwillingly. He didn't want to go, but he went. And it was at this church service he said, he used these words, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in hearts through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that day that he had taken away my sin, even mine, and he saved me from the law of sin and death. 
You know what? Later, uh, someone wrote about John Wesley, and they said this, quote, His life was instantly and completely changed. He went from a dull and anxious soul, turning here and there for blessing that seemed to elude him, into a happy, confident man who began at once a mission that was to change the face of England. And, and in return, it altered all of human history. Have you committed your life to him? And do you have that same assurance? Because you can. And last, the fourth reason why people aren't sure is because sometimes they may just simply be in a state of depression. I use that word depression as if to say they're just in a funk. There is a lot of things going on in their life. And at the moment, it is very difficult to process reality. Traumatic experiences have a way uh, of causing one to focus on fear rather than on faith. It is important to remember we cannot trust our emotions. Our emotions will deceive us. Now, um, it's important to remember this last verse you're going to see on the screen right here. Paul also told Timothy, he said, Timothy, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What does he mean by that? Listen, there's going to be times in your life, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to need someone to lead you by the hand. You're going to need someone to take you out of the driver's seat into the passenger seat, and you're going to need them to drive the car for a little bit. Because you're just going through something, it's an overload. God understands that. And the best news about Jesus is knowing that even when we have those moments of being faithless, He is always going to be faithful. He's going to come and do what He says He's going to come and do. Every single time. You're not like that. Neither am I. But Jesus is. Amen? Amen. And we can all be very, very thankful for that. I've heard someone say once before that they were afraid of slipping through one of his fingers. I immediately replied and told them, you became one of his fingers the moment you became a child of God. You cannot slip through his fingers. You become a part of his body. Of his body. Today, I want to ask all of you, are you spiritually prepared? How is your spiritual walk with Jesus going today? Maybe you are here today and you do not know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And if so... I am going to ask you to get up out of your seat, come down and talk to one of the ministers uh, down front. For others, your distance from God might be caused because of disobedience. You've not been living for the Lord, you've gotten away from the Lord, and you're going to feel like you're lost. It's time to return to Jesus. He will forgive you, but only if you're willing to repent and to return to Him. If your feeling of being distant from Him is based upon something that you're unwilling to let go of, let go of it today and return to Christ. Now, as David comes up to the front, 
and he's going to play a little bit on the piano. This is how we're going to do uh, the invitation for this morning. Uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to pray. And if God is leading you to come down and talk to someone, or maybe if you want to grab somebody and come down to the front and pray with them, say, hey, listen, I just need prayer over something. Would you go with me? You can come down to the front, and you can just pray. I know this, that some of our prayer uh, ministers, they're both not here today. I don't know if there will be anyone in the back of the aisle but uh, you can find someone that will pray for you. If you're here today and you don't have a church home and you're looking for a church family, then you come on down and talk to one of the ministers. But if it's anything outside of those or just needing a good word of, of encouragement to pray with someone, I just want to ask you to stay in your seats this morning. And I want you right now to be asking God the question, where do I stand with you? You can know, you can know these things. And it's very important that you do. So I'm going to ask you to ask God to search your heart and for Him to confirm and just reveal to you where you are with Him today. Remember, the only time in the Bible that we see God run is when He ran to embrace His Son who was lost and He came back home. God wants you to know Him. God wants you to have your sins forgiven. And God wants you to know it. So then you can move on in full assurance and impact those who are around you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, God, we just want to thank you for your salvation. God, you have told us in your word, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And on that note, God, We can have full assurance of knowing that we can take you at your word when we come to you on your terms, not on ours, and just surrender. God, I don't know what areas of lordship the people in our church here today need to do to surrender in order to have that fuller and meaningful kind of life. I don't know. I don't know. But you know. I just ask God that today, we would take this few moments that we have to be serious enough with you to, to just answer the question, do we know? And so, Lord, I just ask that today you would help everyone to remember the only thing that matters is what do you think. It's not what anyone else is thinking. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.